The Startup Executive is a podcast designed to help you become a well-rounded startup executive. The best executives have a good understanding of all aspects of the business. Join us each week to learn from a new go-to-market leader on what is important in their department and what it takes to become an effective startup executive. Joining us today is Dawn Lively. Dawn has worked in the HR world since the start of her career, traversed multiple industries in a variety of roles, even some she didn't know she was ready for. Dawn continued to execute over and over again, which led her to be named CEO of Full Stack PEO. Her success has not begun to slow, so join us and take away some of the many golden nuggets Dawn has to share. This is the Startup Executive Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Don, for coming on. Welcome to the Startup Executive. Thank you so much for having me. So for people who have not heard of you or are interested in getting a little bit of background before we dive into the core of uh, today's podcast, essentially, could you just give us a little bit of background, tell us who you are, where you're from, and you know what you do on the day-to-day? Absolutely. My name is Dawn Lively Jenkins. I am the CEO and co-founder of Fullstack, which is a PEO, which we'll get into more later what that means, based here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, my background is HR, so human resource and human resource management. That's what I got my bachelor's degree in from Ball State. Chirp, chirp. <laughs> and essentially, I started out working in HR and stayed in it. Um, worked first for a third-party management company that managed assisted living in nursing homes um, around the state of Indiana. That was a lot of travel for a 22, 23-year-old. So that wore on me pretty quick. And then I went to a PEO and got in there as HR kind of entry level and stayed for 11 and a half years. So worked my way up to kind of a team leader, then a manager, then eventually a co-director over operations. From there, I had a brief foray at a law firm and realized very quickly that law firm politics were not for me. Um, And around that time, Mike Kelly at Developer Town contacted me and said, hey, we think we might be big enough to bring HR in-house. Can we meet and talk about it? And I was like, sure. You know, I love tiny tacos. So we went to Bakersfield. And he didn't take a note the entire time, which I thought was totally weird. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, okay, we just really want you to come and do it. (laughs) He's like, don't tell me your expertise. Just come do it for me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was totally set up, but I didn't even know it. So I went over there in 2016. And I believe it was my second week there that the other co-founder of Developer Town said, well, when are we going to start our own PEO? And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, give me a second. But I mean, both Michael Clorin and Michael Kelly are amazing people, amazing founders, wonderful people to work with. I never could have imagined having this opportunity. And I can't imagine having done it with anyone else. So started laying the groundwork in 2017. I was the COO to begin with. And Michael Kelly was the fractional CEO. Ran our first payrolls in 2018 with what we call kind of friends and family, friendly clients, and just kept growing from there. So it's been five years, which is so hard to believe, but here we are. Did you imagine, so in your very first role, you were an HR generalist, right? Did you ever imagine that that you would then become a CEO? Was that ever the plan or was it kind of a series of events? Okay. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, It was just 
the opportunities that were laid out for me, the people with whom I've been able to partner, the faith they've had in me to see things in myself that I couldn't necessarily see. I think a lot of people, especially women, deal with imposter syndrome quite a bit. And I've been challenged on that in that regard to kind of see my true value and what I can bring to the table. Yeah. So being five years in, looking back, what would you tell yourself? Maybe it's about that imposter syndrome or maybe it's about something else. But if there was a younger you or a me who doesn't know if I could do that someday, what what would you say? I think that there are people who really focus on culture and development And I think that it is truly unique to have someone who is HR focused at the helm. There aren't that many HR background CEOs. So many have backgrounds in accounting and finance and maybe operations. So I think what I would tell my younger self is that you are coming at it from a different perspective. And if that's something you aspire to, you need to embrace that because it will give you a superpower that others may not necessarily have or look at in the same way. Yeah. So that's interesting. I think a lot of folks in HR have a superpower, like you're saying, to become incredible CEOs. Would you also say that everyone has a superpower, whether you're from that finance background or a data background, superpower that you just need to tap into to be able to become that? Absolutely. I mean, it's whatever you gravitate to, whatever your core innate strength or ability happens to be. And again, for some people, they're going to kill it in finance. You know, I meet every month with my finance team and rely heavily on them for day in, day out type of stuff because that's not my sweet spot. I did go on and get my MBA from Indiana Wesleyan's adult ed program. So I do have background in that area. But for example, today I was in a meeting and I, prior to this opportunity, had not been leading a sales team. So that's an area where I was really hard on myself of, oh my gosh, I've never led a sales team. How do I capitalize on my strengths with that? How do I recognize where I need to develop more? How do I best support that team? So I think a lot of it is self-awareness without being too self-critical. Okay. We're going kind of off the rails, but I'm really curious. You have a very solid HR background. Like you've had a lot of HR experiences, individual contributor roles, management roles, obviously senior level roles, where some people kind of, they dip into sales, they dip into marketing, they see the client side. So how have you been able to kind of ramp up in those other areas to be able to be an effective CEO. And just for some context too, obviously this is the Startup Executive Podcast and one of the taglines is that you kind of need to know a little bit about all of it to bring it all together and be effective. So how do you do that with such like an awesome specialty in HR? Well, on the client success side, I was very lucky because the first PEO I worked in actually combined human resources with client success because the frontline HR professionals who are working with the startups and the scale-ups were commonly talking to the CEOs, were commonly having those HR-related conversations. And so just by dint of that, began to manage the relationship. So from a client success perspective, that's where I got a good background there. Also getting pulled in at a point where relationships would start, sometimes going on the sales calls if they had a particular HR need or a niche that they were looking for. So I really just got 
a good depth and breadth of experience over the years of being at one place. And that afforded me that opportunity to be able to branch in. Other than that, it has completely been trial and error, just like anybody else who gets into it, learning from it, um, being as authentic to myself and as transparent as I can be, because I don't know how to operate otherwise. (laughs) And taking to heart hard criticism when it's come my way. Mm. you know, crucial conversations and things of that nature. Have you read the book? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Is there something oh, that, like, yeah. you still reflect back on? Or, I'm sorry, like, you go back to the book and pick it out when you need that, when you need a little tidbit? What is it? I'm just curious. Oh. Or maybe not even here. from the book. I know that's awfully a specific question. I'm just curious if you kind of have. Well, one of the things that I was actually talking about earlier today with someone is the entire concept of ruinous empathy. Um, because we are... Can you explain what that is a little bit? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Essentially, it's when you care, you care very, very deeply. And as a result of that, you may avoid having critical conversations with individuals. And it leads to an environment where people don't feel that they can be open with themselves and communicative and all the things that you have to be in order to be open and transparent and honest. So it actually has like a backlash to it. Yes. Um, I am guilty of that <laughs> because I care very deeply for the team. And sometimes that makes it hard to have those critical conversations at the time. But what I have to step back and look at is at the core of it, when you're doing a performance evaluation or you're doing a performance management discussion, If you are only formalizing those, say, twice a year, which, again, we're starting up, we're scaling up. We now have stuff in place to do this twice a year formally. Nothing should be a surprise. If something's a surprise in that conversation, I'm not doing what I should be doing. And so you have to force yourself to have those conversations, even though they may be awkward at times. Yes. I think there are even studies that say something to the effect of, like, the more critical conversations you have, the more you have a higher likelihood of finding success, whatever that means. But um, it certainly is a leap of faith. So that's awesome. Well, and there's, you know, we, we've all had those extremely assertive, bordering on aggressive bosses at some point in our career. And if, and if somebody hasn't, it'll probably happen at some point. <laughs> some of the things from the book, Radical Candor, is talking about how when surveyed, people actually prefer the are we allowed to cuss on the podcast? <laughs> sure. The, the a-hole, the a-hole manager <laughs> to the one that will do ruinous empathy because they at least know where they stand. Yeah. And so to have that be the comparison when nobody wants to be <laughs> the former, it, it's like, wow, that's really, uh, really shockingly apparent for me of what I need to work on. I love it. Can we dive deeper into um, the transition from working at Developer Town to then be appointed with Full Stack or founding Full Stack. How did that happen? What was that progression like? Okay. So we eventually kind of reduced my role as far as HR and um, facilitating with recruitment and other initiatives at DT to free me up to have time to do incorporation and get into the legalese and set up with the various states. Um, again, you, you have to know your own strengths and your own weaknesses. Like I am not an attorney. 
I did two days of law school in like 2007, but that's like a whole other story for a whole other podcast. I love it. We're having um, you back, John. <laughs> I need to know that story. <laughs> um, and it is true. I'm not making it up. But it was knowing the legal team to rely upon. You know, where where do we need to incorporate? What do you need from us? So so on and so forth. And, you know, we have an amazing attorney that's our partner um, that's on retainer, and we use him for states compliance. We use him for HR questions, you know, because you need to have your toe in everything, but you're overseeing everything. You don't have the time to be the subject matter expert on every mm-hmm. single function. Mm-hmm. So the short answer to your question is they started reducing my DT duties, as we call the Belpertown DT. We started reducing my DT duties and started increasing my time to be able to do all of the background and all the things. And as it turned out, Town was one of our first clients. Mm. So it kind of was like I was still doing what I was doing. I was just doing it technically on an outsourced arrangement then <laughs> when we got to the beginning of 2018. Sneaky. And then walk us through, um, you know, what is what is a PEO? So we, we've gotten this far. Uh, what is PEO? What does full stack do? Just take us, give us the whole background on what is actually, um, yeah, what does a PEO do? On the day-to-day basis, yeah. So PEO formally stands for Professional Employer Organization, which is not too many people love that phrase, simply because it's what the industry has used for probably about 40 years now. And we prefer to guide PEO to be people experience operations, which Mm, I think resonates better. Um, The short story, again, functionality, it's going to be your payroll processing. It's going to be your benefits administration. It's going to be your human resource support on the transactional and operational levels. We're not necessarily going to be in the space where we are helping you craft your entire culture and professional development and leadership development and doing those things. But if you're large enough to have an HR professional who loves those things, we will be their right arm doing all the things that they don't want to be caught up in, which is, again, oh my goodness, I had this benefit claim happen and I don't understand why it was processed at this certain amount. Um, can you guys walk me through it? I, I've been with you for two weeks now and I haven't gotten my dental cards yet. You know, where, where is that? Um, from a payroll perspective, need to process a commission for somebody. How do we do that? What do we need to be thinking about? I mean, even the initial onboarding piece for new employees. And the cool part now is we actually, um, I know this is on the agenda to talk about later, but we acquired an IT firm, um, Simple IT. And so now we're also providing more of the front end provisioning and all of that. If you want to partner with us on that to where you let us know you've hired a new employee and this is the machine you need for them and how you need it. And we make sure if they're going to be a remote employee, for example, that's on their doorstep before the day they start instead of somebody having to scramble later of, oh my goodness, I didn't think about these three things I needed to do with hiring this new employee. Now we have to figure it out and it doesn't give the employee a good experience. That's a big one. And then so (laughs) are people coming to you from like, you know, their, their startups. I know a lot of the people that you work with their startups, but there are also organizations that maybe are already established that are coming and working with you as well. Tell us about like the mix of your customer base. Yeah, it's, it's both. Um, we are predominantly white collar. So 
and we started with a focus on tech and tech adjacent. So a lot of IT and IT related companies. Um, we've expanded beyond that to where we have a lot of as well. Let's see here. It would be like law firms, investment firms, um, so professional services. We also have a sweet spot for nonprofits. So we have quite a few clients that are nonprofit, which is very near and dear to my heart because um, I'm actually on the board of a nonprofit as well this year. So um, that that part has been incredibly rewarding as well and kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit too to see these companies and these organizations and try to get them where they need to be. But it could be a startup that is wanting to have a good foundation from the beginning. And it could be someone who's at 10 employees and, oh my goodness, we've always just kind of piecemealed it together, but now we've got our big kid shoes and in order to scale, we've got to get, you know, stuff together and we don't want to worry about doing it ourselves. Like I said, leaning on those experts. We, we essentially focus on being those experts in the HR space. Um, whether you have two employees or you have 182 employees. So you said you have your sweet spot, and I'm sure there are many PEOs, and they're good for various reasons, right? But how do you find your sweet spot, or what makes Full Stack fantastic? Like, what is that X factor? What should a company be looking for in a PEO, or what is a PEO looking for in a, in a company that they're going to work with? Well, you know, obviously, we have PEOs that compete against one another for new business. And it may be an organization that is trying to, you know, for the first time branch into HR outsourcing and figure out where that company best is a best fit. Again, blue collar isn't going to be us. There are PEOs that focus entirely on trucking. There are PEOs that focus entirely on construction. Um, that That's just not us. Um, where we are is if you want that customer experience that's going to be transparent, that's going to be authentic, that you want to partner with a firm. If you want to be the type of business that gives us a heads up two days before you unfortunately have to terminate somebody so we can work with you to do the paperwork and get everything done the right way, we're a great fit. If you're the type of organization that wants to let us know two days after that you let somebody go, and oh, by the way, they happen to be in California and wages are due on the day of termination, we may not be the best fit. So those proactive partners is kind of the soft side of the sweet spot. Um, the hard fact side of our sweet spot is going to be funded companies that have just done their first raise that want to be able to grow from three to 30 and beyond because part of our DNA is that we recognize companies are going to grow, get acquired, move on to that next step, and we want to help you by every means get you there. And I don't believe that every PEO has that focus. I think they want to close a new business and stay, have them stay with them and maybe grow 10%, maybe grow 20%, grow all you want, but stay with us. And we don't just necessarily have that focus because we want what's best for them. So, you know, we've had a couple of handfuls of clients at this point that have had exits and we've made that as beautiful of a transition for them as possible because that's what they wanted to do. And my favorite story um, is one of those actually came back and invested in us. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like so, that's doing yeah. business right, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're trying we're doing the best we can. Yeah. You know, I mean every scale up is going to have hiccups and issues and mm-hmm. it's just the way it's going to be, but we're trying our best and we're committed to doing better. I love it. I think that actually ties in really well to where I wanted to go next, which is uh, talking about like the stages of this rapid growth that a startup might go through. So when you're going from maybe that three to 30 um, employee experience and often, like, especially if you just received like a couple million dollars of funding, um, maybe that three to 30 is within a couple of months. How do you manage like an HR function uh, during a period of rapid growth like that? Just uh, very curious. Oh, it can absolutely be chaotic. I mean, trying to onboard everyone and make sure that their onboarding experience hits all the factors, you know, which in my mind are what do you need to know coming into this company from a cultural standpoint and a key function standpoint? What do you need to know for your department? What do you need to know for yourself and your role? And how do we ramp you up? I mean, those are just trying to hit all three of those can be incredibly difficult because the person training you could be somebody that just came in three weeks ago. (laughs) On the HR side, a lot of the companies we work with want to compete against the best talent in town, you know, and compete with Salesforce for getting the best people. Well, you have to have a pretty rich benefit plan and you have to be paying pretty well and you have to have a pretty rich PTO plan in order to be able to do that. So, but when you're at three people, it's totally (laughs) easy to have unlimited PTO. When you're at 30, the problems start coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage all of that? Um, when is the time to put in a PTO plan? And, and another thing that we pride ourselves on is you manage to the many, you don't manage to the few. So in the example that you have an unlimited paid time off plan and one person completely takes advantage of that, how do you address that? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a problem, you have a performance issue going on. Is it really the PTO plan? And so we don't just jump to the conclusion of, okay, you're big enough now, you've got to have a PTO plan in place. But what is the culture trying to convey? Is that a key part of it? Are you a nonprofit that you want to make a more generous contribution to your benefits versus what you can pay in salary? Mm-hmm. You know, re- really tying the need to the organization and where they are in their evolution is the answer that I would give you. And I can imagine it's, multifaceted in that, you know, you're talking a lot about process things, but then you also have like the culture and in the environment and the employee, you mentioned employee onboarding experience, but how folks are kind of like assimilating into that culture. Culture is hard to manage, like processes can be difficult, but culture is on another level. So any tips or any thoughts on how to manage culture during a period of growth? You have to stay connected and you have to get a pulse from, I would say, as many people as possible, as frequently as possible. It has to be a concerted effort. It can't be something that you just happen by happenstance. Mm -hmm. It has to be orchestrated (laughs) and managed. What do you mean by like get a pulse? Like, are you like asking specific questions? Like I'm taking notes at this point, like uh, (laughs) what what are some good ways to keep a pulse as you sort of scale uh, business? Well, 
I'll give you an example of one of the things that we're doing because we're living this ourselves, right? We're sure. at 14 employees right now. And we spent the second quarter working really heavily on documenting SOPs. We spent, in it, the way I'm describing it to people is we spent 2022 getting the right people on the bus. This year, we're spending time documenting where do you drive the bus and how do you drive the bus. So other people can back each other up. So we can work with a partner on automation. So we can do more without adding a ton more staff from that standpoint of, you know, where do we want to be on the financial side? So what I just tasked my leadership team with, and hopefully from a podcast perspective, you know, nobody's going to see this ahead of them talking to each other in their (laughs) one-on-ones, is we always ask when we're interviewing somebody, what drives you nuts at work? How often are we asking our employees that (laughs) once they're onboarded? Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have that part of the dialogue because that's going to bring out where are their errors, where are their redundancies, where are their volume issues, and that may become our next SOP to document or our next thing to automate. I like that. Mm-hmm. So that that's just an example of, you know, if I, and, and I need to ask myself that too, right? Because I'm sitting here at the helm and obviously whatever I'm experiencing is probably funneling through the organization. So I also have to take that time to reflect on that myself. And if I don't do that, then I'm missing an opportunity. I think it's interesting too, you know, how the question is asked. I love that question. What drives you nuts at work? Um, And I just, I'm curious, some companies send out like massive NPS surveys versus like you're talking about one-on-ones. I don't think it's a a one and go or a one size fits all, but I'm sure a combination of many avenues is probably the best route, but I think it's interesting to see those who kind of take a more head-on direct approach versus collecting data and then analyzing more. I do see value in the NPS Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I see that as a good way in particular, if you want to solicit anonymous data. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, versus more of what's said, how much of it's a surprise. Mm. I think that that's, really what you need to get out with an NPS as well. And does a PO help with, oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Because that just ties in. Does the PO help with that? Or is that something that would just be completely done on an internal team? Yeah, we can totally help with that. Yeah, that's not a problem. Usually the way we look at it is if it arches more into strategy, which NPS completely can and culture and all of that. Again, PEOs are not one for all. So, but what we are willing to do is absolutely we have the survey monkey tool and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we can certainly send that out, mine the responses, send them to the company, and then we can work with them on what does that mean and where do they need to go from there. And then as you think about, you know, going out, scaling your organization, or maybe just looking back to how you've scaled up to where you're at so far, how much of that is like going towards someone and saying, Kind of like Mike Kelly went to you and say, hey, I've got this kind of idea for a, a role. Maybe you're not there yet, but I, I think you can get there. How much of talent acquisition for you is like going in and saying, hey, I've got this opportunity. You know, you may think it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but I think it'd be a great fit. How much of it is that versus just like having a, a culture that people just know about and are, are wanting to join, or, or maybe it's kind of a mix of both. But uh, I'm curious on your experience with just growing the team thus far. With our team, it's been a combination of both. And I think you have to get to a certain mass before you really have culture to be able to rely upon. 
because with two people, we, we ran with two people for a period of time and yeah. we 1099 our salesperson and then we brought our salesperson on full time. And then my operations person that I had at the time went from part time to full time. And that my first operations person was somebody who was my best friend for 28 years. And we'd worked together since 2010 to 2015. And I think for full stacks evolution, having that inherent trust in someone and mm -hmm. having the unique opportunity to partner with your best friend was <laughs> really huge because we got a lot of stuff done. You know, our first part-time accounting hire was Mike Kelly's sister-in-law. So, I mean, we, we really used the friends and family piece and that was strong with our client base and it was strong with who we hired. A lot of the individuals we've hired are people that I have worked with prior. Not everyone is in that situation. It's probably about a 50-50 mix at this point. And culturally, that's powerful. And you have to make sure it doesn't have an almost negative sway because you want to make sure everyone feels included and everyone feels involved, even if it isn't someone you've worked with since 2010. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had unique cultural dynamics around all of that. Yeah. You know, who has worked together before, who has pre-existing relationships. But a colleague I used to work with um, back in the day used to say, wow, this is amazing. You and your co-director don't let scar tissue form. And I'm like, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you guys can go head to head and battle out. Because at this point, I was managing operations. She was managing sales, which has inherent conflict. <laughs> and you can totally do that in a meeting for an hour and then go grab Mexican food for lunch. <laughs> like the fact that you have that ability to not let scar tissue form when you are both representing diametrically opposite opinions yeah. on the way certain things should happen for an organization at a certain point in time. That's what I aspire to for us. That's why Crucial Conversations has been involved and Radical Candor is now involved and all of those things because, again, transparency is one of our core values and reliability and, you know, just crafting that human experience. And for me, those are all critical to that. This could be a touchy subject for some, but it seems like it's gone well, so I'm going to ask you. Um, sure. A lot of people say don't mix friends and business or family and business, mm -hmm. although many do. Um, you obviously made it work super well. What do you, how do you build that culture of um, um, the five dysfunctions of a team? One is um, intense dialogue or something. How do you build that? Or, or what tips do you have to working with a friend? It, it can be tough sometimes. Maybe some people would dip their toe in or say, I'm not even going to touch that boundary. You know, you obviously dove right in. Well, I mean, side story for you guys is my best friend actually passed away at the end of 2021 Ugh. very unexpectedly. So as an organization, having our director of operations get very sick and ultimately pass away um, was an incredibly trying time for us. Mm -hmm. And as my husband says, she was my person, like in life, not just in work. Mm -hmm. And so I went through a lot of grief and a lot of all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
who he he'd walk into the bedroom in the morning and I'd be texting and he didn't have to wonder who I was texting with because we'd be working on something or talking about her kid or talking about my kids or, you know, just whatever was going on at the point in time at six o'clock in the morning. Um, But to answer your question, I think some people are able to segment it accordingly and some aren't. Mm -hmm. And I think you just have to know yourself Mm -hmm. well enough Mm -hmm. as to whether that's something you can handle or not. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry about yeah, your passing. That was that was a great story. Though. Yeah, it's it's been rough, um, but and it's been very rough for the team. Sure. Um, we actually had a person turn over four months after, um, and she was one of our rising stars, and she turned over because she was hired by Suzanne and she was developed by Suzanne, mm-hmm. and Suzanne was totally her person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when she left, there was that gaping hole for her, mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't feel connected anymore. And shame on me for not doing a good enough job of connecting with her because we were a lot smaller at that point. I think there was like six of us, eight of us maybe at that point that I, you know, took that to heart because I didn't make the efforts and inroads to connect with her along the way. That just goes to show, I mean, the more and more I talk with people, it's always relationships, relationships, people, people, people. It's all about, you know, that human connection and how we're working toward, you know, marching toward the same goals. So um, another exhibit A. Um, I'm curious. So we've talked a bit about Developer Town. Um, You had a lovely career before that, from what I know. And you also worked in many different industries. And I'm really intrigued by that. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you have been able to take your HR experience from various industries and apply it to something completely different, if you will, Mm -hmm. industry-wise? Well, the PEO industry at its core is supporting businesses that may be in a variety of functions and a variety of operations. So it really ties in nicely. The mistake I made when I was 24 and started working for my first PEO was I thought, okay, I've been working for these assisted living and these nursing home communities, you know, one in Jeffersonville, Indiana, one in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, you know, one in Lafayette, one in Kokomo, which I know for Indiana people, they'll totally know exactly what I'm talking about. And people who aren't, I'm sorry, I apologize. It's basically all over the state, about a six hour range of a drive. Um, I made the assumption each one of these buildings had a different culture. Same business, same management company, same handbook, same leadership backing the recommendations I would make and the decisions we would make with regard to people. I made the mistake when I started a PEO of thinking multiple locations would transfer really well to multiple companies and multiple industries. And I learned very quickly that that's not the way it works because it could be a situation, again, with who's in full stack sweet spot of working with a business owner who doesn't want to take any accountability for culture or their team and just wants the PEO to handle it. Or and, and that regardless of industry. Or it could be a manager who's truly involved and wants best practices and wants to have a partner to help manage the HR function. And so I'm not going to say industry doesn't matter because obviously within certain industries, there's a really heavy need for bilingual capability versus others, um, just as an example. But a lot of it is your leadership. 
a lot of it is your management and what type of organization do you want to be running and what do you want the culture to be? So, I mean, I'll keep, I'll keep banging that drum throughout the conversation of how important that is and being intentional. I want to, I want to deep dive on that actually, because I feel like there's this concept of, uh, you know, so-and-so crystal was, uh, you know, our top sales rep, let's make her sales manager, for example. And, um, obviously crystal is going to be an amazing manager, but, uh, what if crystal, you know, was a great individual contributor, but not a great manager. How do you deal with that from an HR perspective? Uh, Someone is a top performer. They want to grow into their role, but maybe they're just not like the best fit manager or the best fit for managing a group of people. Absolutely. For me, I'd back up two steps and ask what type of development, professional development conversations have we been having? Um, Do they really want that role? Is that something they truly aspire to? I think that when you're talking about business development in particular, individual contributors a lot of times can make more money than managers and team leads Mm -hmm. uh, because of the component of base versus salary or base versus Mm -hmm. commission, excuse me. So what, why are they aspiring to become a leader or a manager? Is it the financial motivation? Is it the, um, guiding and direction motivation? Is it the, again, the culture, do they match the culture of where you're trying to get as a company? I would look heavily into all of those things on the forefront. Mm -hmm. And then if that is what they want to do and their performance has lended themselves, there is an opportunity to kind of have an intermediary role with team leads before you jump to manager. And a lot of times for organizations, that can be a really good breeding ground because you're leading in some ways, but you're not completely the manager of the function yet. And you can do that for like six to 12 months and, okay, how are they doing frequent check-ins? You know, is this what you want? Is this a fit for the company? Because it's about both things. And then at the end of the day, if they're not a fit for that role, you know, it, it's a hard conversation, but it should never be a surprise to them. I like that. Not everybody is meant to mentor others. Mm. It's, again, what's your inherent strength? Do they have a mentor? Do they have someone who's helping them so they can glean from that? Here are the ways in which I want to develop more. And here are the ways in which I don't want to be like this person. <laughs> <laughs> that mix is incredibly important. Yeah. So I think... You need to be able to put the resources into supporting that new manager as much as possible, which is incredibly hard when you're scaling, Mm. incredibly hard. Mm. But, you know, on our side, we just had someone that became a manager about six months ago, and she's getting promoted to director effective tomorrow. And she has shown that she's able, she, first of all, she's doing a leadership program through True You, which is a great partner of ours. So that is going to help give her from an outside resource tools mm-hmm. to succeed and ways in which to do it. She's been an amazing individual contributor, has been with us a year and a half at this point, almost two years. So she's done the time mm-hmm. in the role and gutted it out as we would say. And she just has had a person working with her now on her team that they came over about six months ago 
And she's proven that she's able to equip this person to succeed. She's able to have the hard conversations with the clients if needed and the internal team. And so she's showing all the signals of being able to evolve from a manager into a director. And so that's why we're giving her that opportunity. But if I just make her a director and say, good luck and walk away, yeah. that's not setting her up to succeed at all. I sure hope she watched this podcast. That was like the <laughs> nicest shout out I've heard. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, second note, I just want to acknowledge how cool it is that this whole conversation is coming full circle. What I hear you saying is, it shouldn't be a surprise. We need to have open, honest conversation with our folks. And that happens through crucial conversations. And if we're able to do that, our team can, you know, communicate more effectively with each other. People can be put in the right places. And we know what that does to companies. So, well, And if there's not a fit, there's not a fit. You're not going to get it right 100% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a reality there. And there's 14 different reasons why. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be them. It could be you. It could be the organization. It could be the role. It could be their life and what's going on in their lives. Mm. I mean, I, and, and, and I think that's been a big thing for me too, is I spent a month ago, six days in the hospital on completely unexpectedly. I am rocking new hardware that I never thought I would have to. And my team stepped up and handled things while I was out and said, you go take care of you. No, seriously, quit checking your emails. Go take care of you because it's important. And I think also from the top, you have to be able to display the behaviors that you want your team to represent. And in that scenario, for me to be able to walk away and take those few days that I needed to rest and recuperate and reset, Um, very unexpectedly and have my team go ahead and do quarterly strategic planning without me Mm. because that, that was what we had going on and I'm in the hospital and we flew people in for the meeting and people drove in for the meeting and all of a sudden I can't be there Mm -hmm. and I can't participate. Um, but if I can't take that break when I have to, my team's going to feel they can't. Yeah. And then that leads to burnout. Mm -hmm. So cool that you can do that with your team. Um, This is leading me to another thought I have. Um, You clearly have some really high performers, (laughs) Um, your team coming together, picking things up. That's amazing. Do you have any employee recognition programs, rewards? How do you do that where it's not cliche and gross and expensive, (laughs) unneeding, you know, unnecessarily? Well, again, I'm getting ahead of myself because we're actually rolling out something tomorrow. <laughs> this will not come out before tomorrow, so you're good. <laughs> we are actually partnering with a client of ours, Fuel Merchandise Group. They have put together a store for us, like an e-store that has swag. And we're going to give everybody $75 of swag. Um, in July and in January of each year. So come January, you need a new fleece hoodie, go get it. Um, You want that um, Yeti in July to, if you go out on the boat on the weekend, go get it. So (laughs) it's also going to have spot recognition with it. So if somebody wants to be able to give somebody more, they can do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we do is just, and this is new too, is a riff on, we call ourselves stackers. So we created a new channel um, within our Google chat that is the stacker recognition channel. And it's giving people packs of pancakes, like the pancake icon, um, <laughs> that you basically get a stack of pancakes um, when you get called out for core values. Um, and there's no real affiliation behind it, right? It's not like a spot bonus and it's not costing us a ton of money, yeah. but it's a way to say, hey, you did a kick butt job and we want to make sure everybody knows that you did this. Yeah, and so that those are the two off the top of my head because those are the two most recent ones. Yeah. Um, but I have had times. Well, here here's an example, and you can't do this as a business all the time, so I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> but we had a really lofty goal for Q2, which was documenting, identifying, and documenting the top eighty percent of our SOPs in each department. And we had some cool software that we were able to use um, for most of them. Some of them we still did like PDF screenshots and a Word doc. Uh, but Whatever it takes. Everybody, yeah, it was, it, it was like, okay, May and June are going to be rough trying to get this done and get across the finish line with everything else we've got going on. Mm-hmm. If we achieve this, you can either have Mondays or Fridays off in July. Ooh. <laughs> I love and we did it. And how did so, it work out? Is it something that you would ever do again? Go back? <laughs> I got to see how July plays out. Oh, oh, it's this July. <laughs> yeah, it start oh. it starts next week. Okay. Yeah, it starts next week. So, but we have enough companies that we work with that will take a week and everybody's out of office at a strategic retreat mm-hmm. or hey, we're taking Fridays off in July or you know, whatever. So from a coverage perspective, again, having those SOPs, somebody else can go pick this up, read how to do it, and follow up if the main person's out. That's the whole point of having these. Mm-hmm. You know, so now we have these tools that we can use in these manuals, basically, of how we want to do things and what's our best practice. And so I think it's going to go great. Our business is also very cyclical where Q2 and Q3 are where we have the luxury of working on these things and doing these initiatives because Q4 is very heavy on benefits open enrollment Mm -hmm. and preparing to bring on new business or if a company is getting acquired for the first of the year, getting ready to transition them out. And then first quarter is extremely heavy tactically on getting W-2s ready, getting taxes taken care of, getting you know, all of that new business and making sure they're running smoothly. So there's also a question for an, an, for a leader of in your company's cycle each year, where can you really try to get stuff done mm-hmm. versus where are you already plotted out that maybe you need to only focus on one to two things versus three to five, depending on what you're doing. Something that you mentioned that I, I thought was really important, so I wanted to, to step back uh, for a second. So you mentioned this idea of you know professional development, continuous learning, going through this leadership program at True U. Um, how do you approach just like continuous learning and professional development in an organization that's you know just getting started? But then also as you start to scale up, how can you yeah how, how do you approach that, I guess? Well, for us at this point, it starts with our annual budget of how much financially do we want to put toward that 
And sure. again, being intentional, you know, we needed a budget line this year because mm-hmm. my sales professional became a manager of business development. Um, again, we, we promoted someone from being an individual contributor to being a manager, and now she's going to become a director. And we can't do that with every role, mm-hmm. but we certainly can in a measured, metered, deliberate fashion. So for everyone, it's what do you aspire to professionally? And as an organization, can we get you there? And when can we get you there? And how do we get you there? You don't want to fast pace rush it because, again, that company that's going from 10 to 30 in three months, that's going to lead to chaos. Yeah. But, have, <laughs> but be intentional. Make sure people can see the path and how they get there. One of the big things, candidly, that we're struggling with right now is we're still in a mode of scale up that everybody's doing these tactical functions, whether you have the title of CEO or director or manager. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing in my feedback with people of, well, you hired me to be a manager. I've been on for 90 days now, but I'm not managing much of anything. I have one direct report, but I'm just doing my functions. Or in the case we've had a few leaves happen. So my director, you know, how has she been able to blossom or has she been fire firefighting is what we call it. In a scale up, so much of it is firefighting all the time. So how do you be again deliberate, intentional, open, and communicative about where you're wanting to go and how do we get you there alongside where the company needs to go and how do we get the company there. When there's synergies, capitalize on them. When there's mismatches, you got to be open and honest about them. We also can't assume that everyone's going to stay here 11 and a half years. I mean, I happened to but that's not the statistic anymore. So, how, I mean, I can't believe I've been doing it five years already. It, it, it's just nuts how quick it's flown by. Um, so how do we equip people for the two to four that we're probably going to have them? Hmm. Yeah, that's being super, super realistic with how things yeah. go right now. So. Can we take a couple of steps back one more time? You mentioned about the acquisition of Simple IT, and I just want to understand more what that looks like, how you're actually using it um, as like a catalyst in the business, if you will, if you want to walk us through kind of what that looked like. Oh, absolutely. So we actually partnered with Simple IT a while back um, to provide services to us. So I I always kind of view that as a try before you buy situation, (laughs) literally in this case, Um, to make sure, again, core values, what they believe in, what they're doing on a day in, day out basis, how they prioritize their clients is a match to what we do. And then they became a client of ours, which is, you know, additional connection, (laughs) connectivity. Um, connection. So, yes, exactly. Get, getting to know them, we truly feel that they are a great partner and a great opportunity. The things they do for us, the things that they're now able to do for our clients um, just are critical that when I want to make a new hire in Maryland, 
that I can have, you know, via an email, here's what we want to do. Okay, I did the specs, just go to the Apple store and approve it. Go to the Apple store and approve it. Laptop shows up at their house three to five days later. I mean, it's it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and it, our clients need that. It seems like uh, companies of all sizes would want that. Like, yes, it works for you as a smaller company or as a scaling company, but others would maybe be interested in that too. Do they work with enterprise and small businesses or what does that look like? They're still fairly boutique themselves um, as far as their, you know, evolution. Um, But they have, they're primarily in startup and scale up like we are at this point. But yeah, they do have a couple inroads there that they're working on. And see, and there's kind of, again, cross-pollination because Mm -hmm. the businesses they work with, we want to work with and the businesses (laughs) we work with, they want to work with. So, you know, that's, that's part of what the team's working on right now is, okay, where are the best fits overall and how do we merge and how do we you know, make sure we're partnering really well together. I love it. I love it too. Well, I want to be mindful of time. Sure. Um, one of the things that we always like to end on is talking about people who are in like an HR, people operations, but think back to maybe when you were an individual contributor type role wanting to progress in your career. What are the, what are the steps that someone goes to or goes, uh, or just takes on that HR path? Like, do you, what should you be doing if you're an HR individual contributor that you want to grow into that VP of culture or director role? Like what are the things that you would recommend like, tactically doing or just more uh, generally getting involved in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you said it, getting involved is huge. Whether it's as simple as the Indie HR Professionals Facebook group, <laughs> yeah. whether it's going out and ascertaining whether you want to get your PHR or if you're in California, your CPHR, you know, th- those certifications mm-hmm. go a very, very long way in the HR industry. Sure. Um, so I am like way over certified. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have my PHR. I have my um, SHRM CP. Um, so I'm throwing out a bunch of acronyms. Um, <laughs> I also have my Indiana Health and Life license as far as the benefits we sell and how we do all that. So, so you're, you're going to get the opinion of somebody who has done a lot of those things, that those are very important. I did my MBA sooner than a lot of people do because, but I waited until I was out two years because I didn't know when I graduated college, if I wanted to specialize or generalize. Gotcha. So for example, on HR, you can decide that you want to be a comp and benefits expert. Ah, or you can be a generalist or you can do training development or you can be a recruiter or, you know, wherever you want to go with that. I had no idea. (laughs) Which did you use? I ended up in HR, honestly, because I was at Ball State. I went to the teacher's college my second semester, thought that I wanted to be a teacher. The first day of the first class, they said, here's where you sign up to go tutor kids at the middle school and you have to tutor so many hours a week. And I freaked out and I'm like, okay, I know how to do math. I don't know how to teach math. (laughs) I'm going to ruin some kids' lives and make them fail their classes because I don't know how to tutor them. So I ran away and said, what can I do that is math but not science? Because I've Mm -hmm. always loved math and not like science. And I said, well, the business school would be perfect. So then it became a decision tree between accounting and HR. 
And mm-hmm. my guidance counselor said, Don, you are way too much of an extrovert to end up in accounting and finance. You will be miserable. You need to go into HR. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in HR. Thank goodness. <laughs> and, but I had no idea when I graduated, point being, that whether I wanted to generalize or specialize or whatever. So I wanted to get out there, get that first opportunity, see what I liked about it, get my certifications because they would apply either way and be Mm -hmm. useful either way. And then after about two years, I'm like, okay, what I want to do is get my MBA so I understand all facets of the business better so I can better advise these companies I'm working with with a more holistic, broad approach. So that's where, that's how I ended up doing what I did. No, I love it. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I want to give you an opportunity. If there's any way or any place that people should go to find you or connect with you, uh, LinkedIn, uh, any books coming out anytime soon, anything fun like that, feel free to plug it here. So basically find me on LinkedIn. I'm hyphenating. I got married at the first of the year. So I am currently hyphenating. It's Dawn Lively Jenkins. Um, Find me Um, through our website, www.fullstackpeo.com. And feel free to look up Full Stack PEO on Facebook. Um, Feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. You know, send me an email, which is any variety of my name at (laughs) fullstackpeo.com. And just, you know, give me a shout out. I'd I'd love to connect with people. I'd love to network with people. That's how we all become better Mm -hmm. is by getting to know one another. Couldn't agree more. Well, links for all that will be included in the show notes. Again, one more time, Don, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to see you again. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get this live. But again, thank you so much. Thanks, Don. Thank you. Have a good day.